Grace, mercy, and the peace of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you this day. Amen. Like I mentioned earlier, we're in the Sunday of Transfiguration a week early. There's a calendar in the church, and um, maybe that's not familiar, but we begin a church year with the season of Advent, which is the preparation time for, for Christmas. We think about the coming of Jesus, both in his birth and in his second coming. And that usually starts early December, sometimes late November, carries us into Christmas. In the Christmas season, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the incarnation of the Son of God, made flesh, born in all of the ways that we remember there in late December. And that is very brief, actually, the Christmas season, because we jump into the season of Epiphany just 12 days after Christmas. That's where the 12 days of Christmas, the whole concept comes from, because January 6th is Epiphany Day, and so right around there we remember Epiphany, and with that, the arrival of the Magi, who were much later than 12 days after Jesus was born, but that's just how it works in the church calendar. So we began this season and this series in early January, talking about the Magi and how they followed the star and how that light was revelatory, revealing to them who Jesus was and how they knew his identity is a mystery to us, but they identified him as the one born to be the king. And so we saw Jesus revealed in that way. Our series has been titled Revealing Jesus. And so we saw how in the Magi, Jesus was revealed, and, and to them that happened. And then young Jesus at just 12 years old, there in the temple in Jerusalem, and how somehow he answered questions and asked questions and had these conversations that revealed things about him, maybe not to the people who were right there. But it's remembered, it's a... A story in a moment that is remembered about Jesus because people can learn from that even at that young age. And then through the course of his early ministry, how he turned water into wine, how he healed and saved and worked miracles in the lives of people who were around him and how through the teaching that he made with authority and wisdom and how he taught People, you know, God's word in a new way, in a different way from what they were used to. And through all of this, it was revealing of Jesus, revealing of his identity, revealing of his authority and his power and his glory. The whole endeavor is to see Jesus revealed. And today, as we talk about transfiguration, Jesus' identity is revealed. But here's a question. Did the disciples almost sleep through it? Did they almost miss it? Jesus took them up on the mountain. This is the origin of the mountaintop experience as a just cliche words, right? Have you had a mountaintop experience? I've had several. Those moments where it's like, wow, this is this is something that's special. This past week, we traveled, like I mentioned earlier, to best practices for ministry. We saw people, we heard stories, and some of the stories that we heard were like mountaintop experiences. 
The kind of story that you hear it, and, and you know that when the hair on the back of your neck does that weird thing, and you get kind of chills, but you're not cold, that kind of thing. Like, I heard stories of God speaking to people, and God being active in their lives, and doing things that were like, wow. It's kind of mountaintop experience, even just to hear the stories. In the lives of Jesus' closest followers, Peter, James, and John, who were among the earliest disciples chosen to follow Jesus and remained in that inner circle with him. But for the first part of it, it seems like these guys were sleeping through it. Verse 32 told us, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. Yesterday we got home and it was about dinner time that we got to the house. And you know how it is when you travel, right? You're sleeping in a different bed. You're running a different schedule. Just being on an airplane and, and that whole experience can be kind of tiring. And um, yeah, so add to that the kind of conference that starts at like 8 in the morning and goes till 8 at night or so or later. And then the social opportunity night before last that kept me out till 12. I'm tired. I'm tired today just from the travel and the experience of doing that. But we've been tired, haven't we? Have you been tired for two years? Have you just felt weary for most of the last two years? This conference was um, typically is in February, and two years ago, actually all four of us uh, as a family were there, and um, it was right before everything changed, right? It was coming, and we kind of knew it. And so I remember being there and talking about what's going to happen and how are we going to deal with and, you know, what's your plan and talking with colleagues from across the country, like how things go and where you are. And there were people from Washington State, and it was already there. And we knew that there were things that were in, you know, like the the news was getting out. Like this is is a big deal, right? And it was 725 days from the time the conference ended the last time until the start of the conference this time. And the pastor who hosts this remarked, it was 725 days. And what did we hear in about mid-March when everything changed? 15 days to flatten the curve. Well, these 15 days have been really tiring. And there's it been a lot to it, right? I mean, just the, I, we heard this word at the conference, decision fatigue. Have you had decision fatigue? Where you have to decide what you're going to do, where you're going to go, you know, what's safe, what's not safe. What are you going to wear? Are you going to go to the restaurant? Are you going to be in the grocery store? Are you going to, you know, go attend that event, that very special event that, you know, comes along maybe once in a lifetime or whatever? Are you going to go to the wedding or the graduation? And is it even going to happen? And a trip that we had scheduled for the summer of 2020 is still coming up <laughs> this summer, hopefully. But we keep talking in our house like, is it really going to happen We hope so. Have you been tired of all the things that we've had to deal with? All the, you know, oh, I forgot my mask. What am I going to do? All the, did did you test? Are you doing, are you, you, is it safe? Can we, are, are you tired of, like, seeing somebody you know and then talking to them? 
And I did that. The last few days, I saw people that I know and I remember, and we had conversations. Are you tired? And when we're tired, we don't have to just be physically tired to miss things. I mean, when we're physically tired, we're going to miss stuff, right? Sometime in the last couple of weeks, I was sitting on the couch, and there was something coming up, the Olympic coverage, and I thought, oh, I, I think I want to watch that. And when I woke up on the couch, it was over with. (laughs) So then I had to watch the highlight video or whatever that I could pull up easily. And I could have probably done two hours earlier because of all the way the broadcast works when the Olympics are taking place on the other side of the world. When we're physically tired, that happens and we miss things. But when we're emotionally tired, when we're mentally tired, worn out, when we're just feeling just burned out, worn down, we can miss things. And I know over the last two years I've missed things. I've missed opportunities. I've missed seeing some things that God's doing in my life or the lives of other people because I've been worn out. I've been tired. I've not been looking. I've not been paying attention. There's other reasons why we don't see what's right in front of us. Sometimes something's in the way. Our view gets obstructed. Sometimes we're going through life with blinders on because we just have the thing that we're pursuing and we don't really see or pay attention to anything else. Sometimes we willfully look away from something that maybe we, we should see. Sometimes we're just distracted. There's so many things thrown at us all the time, right? There's media. It's on the screens. It's in our pockets. It's all over the place. And what's that media throwing at us? I'm I'm not just talking about like news media throwing stories at us. I'm talking about all the flashing lights and screens and everything else that's like all around us all the time. You go into a restaurant and there's, you know, six different sporting events going on on the wall. And then you're trying to have a conversation. And if your brain looks like, it works like mine, it's like, what's the score on that game? Oh, what's that? That's a replay. Oh, what were you saying? Have you been distracted? Have you missed things because you're distracted or not paying attention? Or maybe too self-focused, turned inward, looking at ourselves in, you know, in sometimes in prideful ways, sometimes in shameful ways, And so all of these reasons, from being tired to being distracted to being blinded to it, we don't see sometimes what's happening, what's right in front of us, what's going on in this moment. And that's where the disciples seem to have been, because they were heavy with sleep. But the disciples saw Jesus' glory. Verse 32 goes on, but when they became fully awake... They saw his glory in the two men who stood with him. Was it the sight of Jesus that woke him up? Or Peter and the other guys? We, we don't know. They became fully awake is the translation that we're looking at. What does that mean? I almost want to take it like they jumped out momentarily from just the regular existence to being f- more fully aware of 
who Jesus was and what he was about and his glory. So it wasn't just a physical waking, but it was even a spiritual waking that allowed them to see that. Now, I can't say in the text that that's what it says, but I want to think that that has something to do with it. It wasn't just they were tired and worn out and all of a sudden, you know, that happens sometimes. I overheard Paula talking about when our kids were little um, with someone else, another mom, I think, at the conference, and she said that I was the getter (laughs) when the kids were little. What that meant was if one of the children woke up when they were, you know, sleeping in the crib or whatever and started to fuss and started to make noise, it was always my responsibility to go get the baby. Sometimes I could take care of whatever the need was and then, you know, whichever one of the three of them it was, would maybe go back to sleep. Sometimes, when it was hungry time, I'm not equipped for that. And so mom would take care of that one. But I was the getter, and so I became attuned to all the sounds. And so the first little uh, sound, my eyes would open. I would be like, I'm awake. And I would get up and I would go, and sometimes she would say, I didn't, I didn't hear anything. I don't know why. I became, you know, like, attuned to that. I, you know, those sounds would wake me up. And maybe that happened for you. Now, if you put a sleeping, or a, you know, an infant in our house, I probably wouldn't wake up. I don't know how that would work. I think I've lost that skill, which is an okay thing. <laughs> But sometimes we wake up and our minds start going. I've had that happen a couple times lately. It's like three in the morning and you wake up and you're just, I'm awake. Why am I awake? I should not be awake. Like my mind's not, you know, I'm, I'm not dealing with stress. I'm not thinking of something over and over again. That happens too, right? You've done that, I almost guarantee. Like your mind just starts down this rabbit trail of thoughts and does not stop, and you can say, stop it. I don't want to think about that. doesn't matter. And then you're awake, and then you're like, oh, I don't want to be awake. And then you're frustrated with yourself and anxious because you're awake and you don't want to be awake, and then that just makes you more frustrated and anxious. And, uh, so that happens too. And we're awake when we shouldn't be awake. But in this time, for those disciples, Peter and those who were with him, they became fully awake in some way that was at least physically, but if not more than that, fully awake and able to see Jesus. They got a sneak peek of his glory. His face was altered. His clothes became dazzling white. That's actually in the verses just before they became fully awake, but we assume that that was still visible for them. And then there's a couple of guys with them. Sometimes I get jealous of the disciples. You ever feel a little jealous? Right? I mean, John writes these words in John chapter 1. It's in the same verse with the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then he goes on, we have seen his glory. As of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have seen his glory. This is John who's on the mountain with the transfiguration. We have seen his glory. He saw it. Same author. 1 John chapter 1, 
that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. Sometimes it's like, wow, that, that moment, that opportunity, that walking with Jesus in a real, tangible, face-to-face kind of way, hmm, that must have been awesome and also very challenging. For you and I, we recognize the splendor of his majesty. We can see the face of Jesus in his word. We've not seen Jesus in the tangible ways that they can, but occasionally, Jesus can be tangible to us in another person. In a way that he shows up and does something that when we're paying attention, when we're not asleep or going through life with our eyes closed because we just want to get through the day or distracted, if we're paying attention to things God's doing, we can see God at work in a real intangible sense. Sometimes we don't get that until it's over with and we look back and go, Ah, I see what you did there. But it's still that tangible memory of stuff that God has done. He's also tangible to us in the sacraments. He's with us in his word. And so we can recognize the splendor of his majesty in ways that we are able. Because by faith we see who Jesus is. This revealing of Jesus doesn't just mean we want to see who Jesus is. We want to have him revealed so that we can identify him. We don't want to just be able to pick Jesus out of a crowd and go, ah, that's the Jesus. I recognize him. We also need to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews, what, 12? The author and perfecter of our faith. Looking to Jesus. That's how we can get through life. It is good to be here. It's good to be here. Peter starts to say that, right? Verse 33. As the men were parting from him, that's Moses and Elijah, were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, three booths, shelters, tabernacles, actually. Uh, One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said, which I think is really interesting that Luke includes that little, like, editorial comment, not knowing what he said. Does that mean he didn't know how he said that it was Moses and Elijah? Um, Or he didn't realize the implications of what he was suggesting? Um, It's hard to understand exactly what Luke has in mind. What didn't he know? I bet he didn't know a lot of what he was saying. I mean, that's just Peter's history, right? He's really good at not knowing what he said. Talk first, figure it out second. But this is Peter's response. It's good to be here. Isn't it good to be in the presence of Jesus? And for us as we gather, it's good to be here. It's good to come together and to recognize Jesus and see him in our lives and lives of other people, to hear him in his word, to just sit at his feet and and get those grace-filled times and build each other up in our faith and encourage each other when we can gather, whether that's here in the room or on the stream. It's good to be here. 
It's good to be together in this time of worship when we can hopefully set aside some of those things that are popping into our heads all the time. We can focus on what God has done when we can recognize and remember from events that happened so long ago how that applies in our lives and how that looks for us. It's good to be here. But we don't live here. I mean, if, if you need to stay over tonight, you can, but eventually we're going to kick you out. <laughs> we don't live here. And it wasn't right for Peter and James and John to take that moment for themselves. To protect that and guard that and hold on to that like, it's good to be here, Jesus. We're never leaving. We're going to build houses and we're all going to stay right here because this is awesome. Jesus' work wasn't finished. That's the conversation he was having with Moses and Elijah. That he's talking about his exodus, his departure. And the word that's used is actually the same as exodus. It's not just for him, but the leading of the people out of the bondage of slavery to the promised land. It's not accidental that that word is used. He still has work to do. The mission is incomplete, so they have to leave. Peter didn't know what he was saying. This is not a moment to circle the wagons, and this is where we're going to stay forever. It's good to be here, but we need to move on. This is not a place to stay. Then there comes a voice that says, listen to him. That's verse 35. A voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Very similar to the voice that spoke at Jesus' baptism. Listen to him. See Jesus, but don't just see him with eyes. Also, open your ears. Be fully awake, fully aware, and receive that from Jesus that we need to hear. Listen to the words of Jesus. I love you. That's what Jesus says to you, to me. For all those times when we're just worn out, worn down, not paying attention, not looking, not seeing, I love you. I care about you. You are mine. I am with you. And all those times that we're not listening to him, he's still speaking those words. I forgive you. You can trust me. I'll never leave you. I won't forsake you. That's who Jesus is. That's the words we need to hear. Those words can go with us. We don't have to circle the wagons and put up the tents and live here forever because we go out those doors. Jesus doesn't stop talking to us. Jesus isn't just here. This is not the temple where the glory of Jesus is going to live here in the temple and we can come back and see it every now and then, but it stays here and when we go, we don't take it with us. We do. I mean, the reason that that building shelters on the mountain wasn't a good idea is because Jesus' work wasn't done. And the reason we're not going to stay here either is because our work isn't done. We're still on a mission to reveal Jesus. See, we'll 
see Jesus revealed, we'll look to Jesus, and now our mission is to reveal Jesus for others. The disciples kept silent. At the end of this section, it says this in verse 36, when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. That's okay. You know why? It wasn't time yet. There's plenty of times when Jesus is like, don't tell anybody. That ever strike you funny? Like, wait, what? Don't tell anybody. We can get good at that sometimes. Hmm. Don't tell anybody. It's not time for him to be fully revealed. That's what was happening on the mountaintop in other uh, versions of the transfiguration story in other gospels. Actually, Jesus is like, all right, we're going to go down here. Don't yet tell anybody what you saw. Really? We just saw you, you know, like fully glorified, and Moses and Elijah showed up. How are we not supposed to say anything about that? This is a mountaintop experience, Jesus, and that's not a cliche yet, but it's going to be. Don't say anything. Then they didn't. In those days, they didn't tell anyone There was still work to be done, but those three were influential in the early church. The first martyr of the twelve, one of them. The rock on which the church was built, another one of them. And one who died in old age after writing a gospel and revelation and three epistles. These are influential men in the church. They did not say anything for the rest of their lives and keep this secret. Oh, they told. That's how Luke knows and the other gospel writers. It's how they know because that story got shared and the story of Jesus started getting shared, not just about what he did on that mountain, but what he did at another mountain, what he did on another hill called Golgotha and what he did in another place where there was a tomb cut into the side of a rock face most likely where his body had been laid, where they expected to find it again, and where he wasn't found. He rose from the dead. Those stories have been told again and again, and Jesus has been revealed for 2,000 years so that you and I can know this is who he is, and we can look to him in our times of need. And he sends us on that same mission to reveal his identity and to share who he is so we can tell others what we've seen. I would almost guarantee that you have shared a story in your life of something that you have seen. Wow, I saw this, and it was amazing. One of our nephews got to go to the Super Bowl through some just coincidental things. Some friend of his or cousin of his wife or something, I don't know who it was, Met a guy who had bought tickets with the hope that his team would go, and that team wasn't going to play in it. So Anthony's, I don't know. This is a great story, isn't it? It's not my story. I don't know. I didn't live this. So he got to go. So we're all like on the text with him. Hey, what's going on? How is that stadium? You know, and he's sharing things that he is seeing from the inside of SoFi Stadium. And we're like, oh, so what's the ratio of fans, you know? who are wearing orange versus those who are rooting for the home team. Like, that's fair. Well, he said, 60-40, but the Bengals fans are louder. Yeah. 
You want to know what people have seen, that firsthand experience. You and I have firsthand experience of Jesus. Not in the same way the disciples did. But he's come to us by the power of his spirit to bring us his grace, to forgive us of our sin, and he sends us now into mission to share those things that we can share. 1 John 1, verse 3. Verse 1 is about that which we have seen, that which we have heard, that which we have even touched with our hands. He goes on in verse 3 to say, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim. We share. We can boast in hope. That was from our reading from Hebrews 3. Christ is faithful over all God's house, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast to our confidence and are boasting in our hope. Boast in hope. What has Jesus done? He died and rose again for us. His resurrection is a big deal. We can share him with others because that's our mission. So let's reveal Jesus in our lives, through our habits, through our generosity, through our trust, through our devotion toward him. Let's make him known. Starting next Sunday, we're going to be in the book Red Letter Challenge. And we'll start reading it actually two days later. That book is about learning from Jesus, from his words, and then putting those into practice in our lives. It's about revealing Jesus through the things that he teaches us to do. We're going to spend 40 days just learning from Jesus and putting that into practice. You're encouraged to get the book after church today if you haven't already. He's given us the opportunity to reveal him as he has been revealed to us. Let's be about that work. Amen.